Kadev. My name is Ross Esdorian, and this is Made of Armenians, a podcast about influential Armenians among us. Today, I wanted to tell you a brief story about the guest and how we met before sharing our conversation. Vahe Berberian is known by generations of Armenians, and even though most are from a distance, it became very apparent to me that people feel this intimate connection with him. He's an entertainer and an artist in every primary form. And when we met last year, I had no clue who he was. I'm actually embarrassed to say that now. I first sat down in his art studio with our friend Hudi, and it was as though I'd been transported into a culture that I'd only imagined. A couple of Armenians, distinguished by their accents, toggling between English and Armenian, drinking just a little bit of whiskey, and talking about life with, I don't know, as much comedy as sincerity. And even though I didn't know what they were saying basically half the time, I felt at home. Since this is mostly about my journey into the culture, I'll start by saying what I said at the end of the conversation now. Vahe is the type of Armenian that makes me proud to be an Armenian. And that's mostly because of how it has shaped him as a human more than anything else. In Vahe's presence, you can feel his entire life as something both wildly unknown and easily understood. It's what you might expect from an artist who's written at least six books, six plays, six monologues, countless paintings, and spent a lifetime as a volunteer for anyone with love and compassion in their heart. It's that deep connection that takes us to where it all began with Vahe Berberian on this fourth episode of Made of Armenians. I fell in love with the theater at a very early age, when I was like 15, maybe 14 years old. Everything I love is there. The music, the backdrops, the, the acting, the writing, everything. And on top of that, the social experience of the theater, nothing, nothing is like it. That you, you create a family. I grew up in a very small apartment where we had one bedroom and we were my mother, my father, me, my two sisters, and my grandmother. Two things that were prominent. Books everywhere and uh, rugs, kilims and, and stuff. And uh, I loved the smell of the rugs. I loved the fabric and the books. That combination, for me, it was lovely. My father was, was not home much because he was a community activist. He had founded the first library in Beirut where people actually came and borrowed books. So he was always busy, always busy. And I think in his mind, if he was taking care of his nation, I was included in it. <laughs> so it really didn't have to worry about me that much. My mother is a fascinating woman. So when I was born, my mother, who had a couple of miscarriages, and she was almost like giving up, she had a dream. And in her dream, this man, who, who this religious, iconic figure, came in, in a white robe and long white beard and said, what do you want? And my mother said, I want a son. And then I was born. And so in her mind, I was God-given. And so she decided that she will 
give me back to God, which I never understood. My mother was the religious person. Dad never was interested in, uh, in religion. So I was 17 years old, and I told my parents I'm leaving. And I had a backpack, one military backpack, small backpack, a sleeping bag, and that was it. So I traveled all over Europe with a friend, lived in communes, and then came back at the end of 74, and uh, that's when the war broke out. At the front line in Beirut, it's become a ritual. And then everything fell apart. During the war, I was part of the, the militia that was defending the thing. And finally, I decided that I'm going to Canada. Actually, it wasn't my decision, to be honest with you. What happened was my aunt, who lived in Toronto, without telling me, she had applied for immigration for me. I was, I was flabbergasted, really. But I immediately convinced myself that, okay, I'm going to go continue my education. And because coming to going anywhere without a visa is not as, like, we spent three months in Cyprus waiting for the actual visa, you know, which is a, which is a fantastic story by itself. And I've told this in, in uh, one of my monologues, how we spent three months in a brothel in Cyprus. <laughs> my grandmother and I. Working? Not working. <laughs> but by the time we left, all the prostitutes, I loved them. They, they were, you know, I was their favorite. I was a kid. You know, was like, and they loved me and they were all crying when we left. Vahe's journey to America wasn't easy going from the warmth of Beirut to Toronto. He lived there with his aunt amidst the freezing cold, working in a factory as a janitor, where one of his duties was to throw salt on the snow in the parking lot every morning at 7 a.m. Looking at him now, in a home filled with plants and sunlight, it reminds me of how much crap we go through in this life that no one knows about, yet is so integral to who we are. Imagine from someone who has not experienced cold or snow, imagine every morning at seven o'clock, I would, I would um, throw uh, salt in the parking lot in order to, uh, to melt the snow uh, for the people to park, to be able to park, you know? And I would freeze, and I, like, man, I would curse every, every single moment. Uh, of my staying there. And uh, finally, when I decided, so finally, when I came to Los Angeles to see my grandmother and my other aunt who lived here and some of my friends, the sun, the California sun was like, ah, I'm not going anywhere. This is where I will stay. I owe so much to my professor of journalism or creative writing who was an Armenian, by the way. His name was Claude Chidemian, a fascinating man. I loved him. I fell in love with him. At the time, he was in his 70s. And when he lectured, you couldn't sit in front row because of all the spit that would <laughs> come out of his mouth because he impersonated every character. It was pleasure to hear him talk. 
he gave me some incredible pointers about writing. And I remember one of them, you might find this interesting. After a couple of months, he pulled me aside. He goes, this is creative writing. He goes, you're a very, very, very talented guy. And he said, I want you to do, to do me a favor from now on. Everything you write, everything you write, I don't care if it's a play, if it's a, if it's a poem, if it's, a, if it's an essay, if, whatever you write. I want you to write Dear Claude first. I said, why? He said, because I want you to remember that I will be reading it, that you have a, you have a reader somewhere because every piece of writing is a letter. And that changed my entire approach to writing. I can tell you 100% that that piece of advice made me who I am. That advice led Vahe to write Pink Elephant in his 20s, which is a play about the Civil War in Beirut. This goes on to have incredible success. It's translated into multiple language and has been performed around the world. In fact, it's still being performed. This gave him his first big taste of a different kind of success. And for anyone who remembers that first feeling that you can do something you love and be appreciated, let alone paid, you remember that you start to see a world with incredible optimism and joy. Like anything is possible. That experience made me realize that I want to be a playwright. Everything was wonderful until 93. In 93, 94, maybe, I was diagnosed with cancer. And then everything came to a halt. I was doing so many things all at the same time. I was writing, painting, this, that. And I always thought I was scared shitless of dying. I don't know why. I don't know why at the age of 28, 26, I would be scared of dying. But I was like, I always thought I'm going to die any minute. And so I wanted to do everything and have a social life at the same time. And then cancer hit at an early age and I almost died. And within the next five years, I had 14 surgeries, you know? And I thought, okay, nothing is worth it. Nothing is worth it. Life, you might lose it like that, so you might as well enjoy every minute of it. What I was doing, I was writing sort of thoughts, ideas. And then one day I saw a movie called Swimming to Cambodia by Spalding Gray. And it was, the entire movie was Spalding Gray sitting behind a desk and talking about his experience as an actor. Last year I was on my way up from uh, New York City to Chicago and this guy comes up to me and says, Hi, I'm Jack Daniels. Mind if I sit down? I said, No, I'm Spalding Gray. Have a seat. What's up, Jack? Oh, nothing much. I'm in the Navy. Oh, really? Uh, All I could think Bay? of oh, during that? the entire movie fun. was, kind of weird I can do this. This is what I should be doing. 
And, and I decided that I will do it. And I started writing and I wrote my first monologue, which was Yevailen, which, which means etc. in Armenian. And uh, I performed. Of course, I really didn't know what, what the fuck I was doing. I just talked. It was being myself. And uh, I performed. Of course, I really didn't know what, what the fuck I was doing. I just talked. It was being myself. It's an innate need to entertain. From very early on, what I remember from my childhood, I loved telling stories. And it would drive everybody crazy. My parents, oh, like I would start and my poor father would go, oh, is this going to take long? You know, and it's like, no, no, no. Just like, and then it would go on and on and on. What is the function of comedy in your life? This is an important question. Someone said, all tragedy is inane because it ends up in destruction. You know it from day one. There's something is going to die, something's going to happen, and, you know, it's going to fuck things up. But comedy is very, you know, it, it might surprise you. You don't know. The punchlines are always, you know, surprising. In my personal relationships, I always... I never shy away from a joke or from a from a comedic situation. And like, for example, when I'm arguing with Betty, we have we have huge fights. You know, we argue constantly about a whole lot of things. Mostly, mostly about ideas or politics or something. You know, and I can't resist a joke. I can't. I like. I make a joke, and she starts laughing. I start laughing, and you know, and because I believe that comedy is is the fiber of your nutrition. Mm. Without that fiber, you become constipated, <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> and constipation is not good. So let's talk more about this transition from born in Lebanon. You have a first. 18 years or in Lebanon, then you start traveling, the identity changes, you come to America, and then the Armenian identity continues to grow and grow and grow. Why did it become important to you to be Armenian? I realized that my being an Armenian is giving me a certain perspective that is added to the perspective that everyone else has. For example, if I were an Irish man, I would have said the same thing. You To be able to tap into your cultural own, cultural well, you know, is, it, it is so important, really. I have tried to sort of create a thread between my flashbacks and, and to create, to understand my own history. And this is a very, very, very important thing for us. Because how can you as a nation go forward when your criterion of being an Armenian is only genocide? No, I refuse to do that. Because 
first of all, this victim mentality is, for me, it's not healthy at all. Also because you have to refresh your mental state. You have to feel alive. You have to feel strong enough to be able to go on. All I have found is compassion. Compassion for people around me. Like Schopenhauer said, compassion is the law of the land. Without compassion, you have no empathy. You have, I think that's my religion, compassion is. I'd rather spend three hours with a good friend than write three pages or paint three paintings. Because what lasts, ironically, is not the pages or the painting. It's, it's that friendship. It's the most important thing. My hope for Yerevan, for Armenia, would be, you know, the country will flourish and we have a lot to give to the world. Because that's a very important question to ask ourselves. Why should we survive? Why? I think we should survive because we have a rich culture. We have, with interesting people. We really are interesting people. If someone is sitting there and they don't have the grandma and they don't have these stories, one generation, two generations, as we have more hybrids coming out, what do you want the youth to carry on about being Armenian? What does it mean to you to be Armenian? And what do you hope that it means to future generations to have this in your blood? I think curiosity is the most important thing. That curiosity is the basis of knowledge, of wisdom. And so the ability to appreciate culture, creativity, is very important because it was Borges who said, I am the sum amount of all the books that I have read. I think as a human being, me, I am the sum amount of all the books I have read, all the music that I've listened to, all the cities that I have lived in, all the people that I have met, all the women that I have loved, I am the sum amount of all of this, okay? And I will never say, oh, you're an Armenian, throw the non-Armenian away. I will say, use it, make it your own. Do not expect me to remain the same. Zeran Megan. Inch our Kanao When I talk to you, it is reflective of what I consider as like an Armenian that makes me excited to be Armenian. Oh, that's uh, the most, uh, like the most beautiful. uh, There is exactly what you said, where it's like, you're you're not the beginning or the end of the story, right? You're that building block somewhere in the chink of the chain. Um, so this has been really, really nice. It's been a great change of pace um, for me. And I'm, I'm glad 
if only for selfish reasons that you came back to this earth uh, for these for these uh, limited amount of time. And thank you for realizing that nothing I say is finite or, you know, like Michel Foucault said, do not ask me who I am. <laughs> do not expect me to remain the same. Thank you to Vahe and thank you for listening to this different version of Made of Armenians. My name is Ross Azorian and I'm really happy you're here. So subscribe, download, you know the deal. I'm also on TikTok now, apparently. So you can find me there at Made of Armenians. Until next time, Pariega. Pariega.